we in general like neurodivergent or not like we don't actually need any more information there's so much information out there at our fingertips right like everything i teach like you can gather it yourself like through blogs and youtube and you can buy books but i think like what i found that i really saw it and what my students are really seeking is like one more structure and clarity and two like more connection Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 45, and it completely turned my world upside down. I've been looking back at so much of my life, school, jobs, my relationships, all of it with this new lens, and it has been nothing short of overwhelming. I quickly discovered I was not the only woman to have this experience, and now I interview other women who, like me, discovered in adulthood they have ADHD and are finally feeling like they understand who they are and how to best lean into their strengths, both professionally and personally. All right, I'd like to share with you this review from a listener called My Tribe on the Apple Podcast platform. The review is entitled Found My Tribe. Words cannot express how grateful I am to have found these podcasts. I just found myself in tears as I listened and thought, this explains everything. No wonder I struggled to excel. It wasn't that I was careless or didn't pay attention. I was neurodivergent. Thank you. Well, thank you for taking the time to write a review. I appreciate it so, so much. And it really helps other women find these conversations so that they too can realize they're not alone and that there's nothing wrong with them. They simply approach life differently and what a gift that truly can be. Okay, here we are at episode 111 in which I interview Linda Yee. Linda is an artist and the creator of the Panda Cub Stories, a webcomic that explores her ADHD, Szechuan cooking, and her Chinese identity and culture. She's also the founder of Panda Cub Diner, an online cooking membership where she teaches students the joys of cooking healthy and authentic Szechuan-style Chinese food. Linda and I talk about some of the unique challenges many of us face when it comes to cooking, meal planning, shame, and executive dysfunction. She shares her incredible story of how lockdown and homesickness fueled her desire to learn to cook traditional Szechuan meals and how teaching others has helped her to take care of herself. And we talk about how her comic characters have helped her process her own adult ADHD diagnosis and be kinder and gentler with herself. Now, I want to mention that Linda was chatting with me from a New York City apartment, and in the first half of the interview, there's some muffled background noise coming through the wall from her very loud neighbor. Now, I am such a huge fan of Linda's work, and I was already pretty nervous and excited to be interviewing her, but I found the background noise so distracting, and I was having a really hard time concentrating on the conversation. And this all feels very fitting, given the nature of this podcast. So I wanted to make note of it and let you know that it does stop after a while. So please don't let it deter you, because this is just a fabulous interview and conversation with a wonderful guest. Enjoy. Hi, uh, Linda. I am so excited. I'm really thrilled that you agreed to be here. Uh, when I reached out to you, I had just read the interview with Kaleidoscope Society, and I, I am not exaggerating when I say it made me cry. Like I, uh, <laughs> I really teared up, and uh, it was really emotional. And I just felt so moved by your story. I love your com- your comic. Also, gets me kind of teary eyed sometimes. I got to say. I think it is so, it's just so beautiful and so from the heart. And I really just, before, I I wanted to make sure I said this before we even got started, because I was like, I just want to thank you for what you're doing, uh, for your perspective. It's just an incredible thing for this community. And I wanted to make sure I didn't forget to say that. So anyway, um, I just want to get started. I I guess I'll start asking about your diagnosis. It was about five years ago, right? And yeah, what was going on in your life that really led to you kind of putting the dots together because it sounds like it was a it was a combined diagnosis with a lot of other stuff too, right? So what was happening in your 25-year-old life? So I sort of had a quarter-life crisis, I guess you would call it. Um, so I had basically left like my fourth job since getting out of college and um, I was living back at home trying to figure out what my next steps were. I'm already on a tangent, but I don't know if you've ever seen like 
everything everywhere all at once. But like, if you haven't, it's uh, this recent sort of like kind of mind bending sci-fi, like action martial arts thing. But the main character is basically this like middle-aged woman who um, is like being audited because she has just gone through like, you know, like 30, 50 businesses. And she's just been hopping from like one idea to the other. And that, that was like, definitely me um but i guess like early on in my life so i think like the diagnosis came actually like after a culmination of basically an entire lifetime of kind of feeling like i was living somewhat like like an imposter right so like um i think growing up i was always told i was bright and i tried really hard at school and i loved school but at the same time it's like i always struggled with you know racing thoughts too fast mind and um and then there were things that i would definitely just like shy away from because like i felt like i couldn't master them i think like i basically went through both school university years and early career seeing my brain as the enemy as something like i really had to you know work like a workhorse three times as hard as it felt everyone else was working to to get to where i wanted to be so i would swing between like you know being really put together or at least i tried to seem very put together like on the outside and then just having these like long like lulls where i would just crash so yeah by the time i was 25 i'd already gone through like four jobs um and it felt like every time a chapter closed I had to start from tabla rasa and you know that might not have been true but it definitely like that's what it felt like and so really like the thing that prompted the diagnosis was actually one day I was at the local bookstore and there was a clearance bin and I love books like libraries and bookstores have always been sort of like um a refuge for me and I realized it's like cuz it's like a very tidy structured environment with like all of the things I love and yeah and there was like a book in the clearance bin that I picked up Honestly, because the cover was like green and purple, and those are my favorite colors. Um, but it was this book called Fast Minds, like how to thrive if you think you have ADHD. And I was like flipping through it. And there were some like, you know, early like self assessments in the beginning. And I was like, oh, what? Um, so I ended up buying it for like, like $4.99 or something. And yeah, and I just spent like that whole day just like reading it. And honestly, I didn't complete all the self-assessments. I probably did like the first like four. Um, and then I was like, I think this is this is me. And that's kind of like what prompted finally picking up a phone or I guess like I might have made an online booking to to get a meeting with a psychologist, psychiatrist. There's so much in the title of a book, right? I, I feel like that when when I was first, you know, it was when it was first suggested to me by my therapist that I start to look into ADHD and I started connecting the dots a little bit. And then, you know, and then it's like, oh, my goodness, then you go into that hyper, hyper research mode. And I remember finding that book. Uh, you mean I'm not crazy, lazy or stupid and, and be like, I'm in I'm in the right place. <laughs> Uh, so even just the title Fast Minds, you're like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think like it also because like I, I, I'd known about ADHD before, but I think like like a lot of us, like I was never physically hyper as a child. So like that was just like not something that clicked with me. But I think like just Fast Minds, I was like, yeah, like that that's the hyperactivity that I identify with, like not so much the physically impulsive side, but more, you know, like, can't control my thoughts. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think a reason why many of us don't even think that is part of ADHD is because it didn't occur to me that that wasn't how everybody thought, right. And so, like, I remember, going when I went to for my diagnosis and was talking to my doctor and, and she was asking me if I lose things because it's like one of the questions on the DSM. And I was like, no, I don't lose things. I'm actually and I went into this whole long diatribe about the systems I had around how I don't lose things. And I was like, I have a set of glasses in every car and every, you know, I have a set of glasses next to the TV. And then I have one upstairs. And, and she, you know, and she was like, you work really hard 
to not lose things. And and that was the first time it had ever occurred to me how hard I was working and realizing, you know, but again, like realizing like, oh, that's not what everybody does. <laughs> and really, and I think that's a, a, probably a lot of the reason why so many of us don't relate to the hyperactivity element. Even if you say the term internalized hyperactivity, I would still think that the that racing mind is just how everybody thinks, right? I just assumed that was everybody. You had mentioned in, um, I guess, I'm not sure if it was the interview with Kaleidoscope Society or not, you had talked about doing really well and, and doing well in school. And, you know, I feel like the vast majority of the women I interview had a similar experience, right? Which was like, you know, not having that stereotypical view that we have of the student, um, but actually doing really, really well. And then how you had felt like you had convinced everybody that you had fooled everybody into thinking that you were competent. And that speaks to, I think, a real element of neurodivergence that is so hard to articulate. Yeah, just like the sort of like what you were thinking about, like reminded me of like learning about the term masking and like that, like, I just didn't realize that that's what i been doing I feel like something that I really remember like even early on in kindergarten all the way up until undergrad like I would see people that like I really admired right and so um I guess like in undergrad I remember just going to the seminar my seminars and there was this one girl who was in a lot of my classes and she always like looked so put together you know she would like come to class um and uh, and it, it's not even like, you know, she was like dressed super well, like I mean, she was in like, you know, Uggs and whatever, but like, you know, she always had like her coffee and then her computer and it was super clean. And then she had like really organized notes and she would like sit really straight and type. And I was like, I want to be like that. And so I would like try really hard to like do that and it would <laughs> work for like a couple of classes and then things would kind of just like fall apart. But like, I would always sort of like aspire <laughs> too i think and and i think like that's also one of the reasons like so many of us kind of fly under the radar because it's like you know when we put our minds to something we can hyper focus and try to to achieve like that level of either like normalcy or goals hashtag goals but it's like i, I guess like i just never realized that maybe it wasn't because i was deficient and couldn't be like that it's just that like maybe we function differently well who who knows like I, i'm not in her mind right but yeah but i think like there's just that internal monologue of like why does it seem so easy for other people and and why is it so hard for me and then like i think for a lot of us that very easily becomes like it's because like you're not good enough or you're not trying hard enough or you know you're just like a lazy person yeah, and I think one thing that is can be so difficult, and I think a lot of your comics talk to this, uh, this desire, the desire to do well, you know, like the desire to please is so strong. And yet it's so often interpreted as the opposite, right? And so it's like, how do you build your self concept in a, into adulthood out of this back and forth between like what the, you know, I'm trying really, really hard at something and it's being seen or perceived as the, as me not trying, as me being lazy or, or disorganized or not having discipline or all of those things. <laughs> like, right. And then being like how, you know, if this is like how my personality has been built on, on this like messaging in my life, no wonder I have a lot to unpack in adulthood. <laughs> now you had mentioned about, uh, that it's been difficult to talk openly about mental health since your diagnosis. So I'm curious, um, was that part of why you started the Panda Cub comics or what was the inspiration for, for Panda Cub? Yeah. So that was definitely part of the inspiration. Although for me often, like I start something and I don't know why I'm doing it until like a while later. And I look back, I'm like, Oh, um, so I think in particular, um, I guess like there were two ways where it was difficult to talk about it. And in one way, it's like, it was difficult for me to like gather my thoughts and like explain it in a way that wasn't like, cause you know how we tell stories. Like we start from A and then we're like, and then we go here and they're like, but you know, like eight years ago, this, and then you make all of these like loops. And then by the time you're at the end of your explanation, everyone listening is like, what? <laughs> and then like, and you're also like, Wait, what was I saying? On one hand, the comics were 
for me, the best creative container for me to both sort of like indulge my, you know, like asides and, you know, like flights of fancy, but also in the process of editing the comic and editing the story, it's sort of like I both am able to crystallize the things that I actually want to say into something that I'm like, oh, right, like that that is like truly like what I meant to say. And then the benefit is also like that becomes a way of telling my story to other people in a way that is easier for them to understand as well. And um, I'm a big nerd, like when it comes to word text interaction and storytelling, like with pictures and text, because I yeah, like my, my background is in children's literature and education. So I think like on one hand, that is what made talking about this topic um, more easy. Uh, And then on the other hand, it has to do with kind of like my background. So I'm Chinese American and um, and I would say like at risk of generalizing, but like most Asian society like um, communities, mental health is still quite stigmatized. And so like growing up, anything related to mental illness or, you know, like, I don't even think like mental health was really necessarily a concept. Um, But, you know, if you called someone like, oh, like, which is the the actual medical term for like, someone with like, neurodivergency, um, that is actually like seen as an insult, um, and a very like severe insult. So I think like once I was fighting with my mom and I was like, oh, like, you know, why are you so crazy? But in Chinese and, and of course, like saying someone saying that to someone in English is also not nice, but I think like, I just didn't realize kind of how heavy that was in um in my home language and she was very upset and my dad was very upset he was like you never say that to someone and yeah and so I think like creating these comics because like my comics are also bilingual and I use them um partially also as a way for me to practice like expressing myself in Chinese um those have actually become a bridge for me to start like talking to my mom um mostly but also like my broader family about these issues and it sort of like served as kind of um almost like a doorway and i remember i'd like published one of my comics and she had like messaged me on her family um chat platform and she was like oh i like never realized you felt this way i think i probably struggled with like yoyujin or depression um as well and so like and then we started talking about something that just never talked about before so I think for me that was also quite I think surprising and like my last tangent uh I don't know if you've been following the news but like the there's this U.S. comedy video troupe called the Try Guys that have been in the news yeah yeah um but uh so so putting aside that um i i've been a longtime fan of the try guys and my favorite try guy is eugene and he's um he's the korean american and um and one of his like big things is he came out as gay a couple of years ago with this like really beautifully like lushly filmed coming out like music video and they went on tour and basically he was like i've done all of this and it's so much easier for me to share this part of me with like millions of fans, but I've actually never sat down and talked to my family about being gay. Like, you know, he's like, I came out to them when I was 18 and then we just never had that conversation again. And so like for him, I was watching their documentary and yeah, he actually, his mom and stepfather came to see his performance. And that was like the first time really that that conversation happens. So I feel like for me, it's like a smaller scale version of that. And sometimes I'm like, Linda, why can't you just be like normal and have a conversation with your parents? But I think I've become, I think a little bit more um, compassionate towards myself as well. And it's like, yeah, like sometimes, you know, there isn't a textbook perfect way of approaching things. And if things work for you, then they work for you. Yeah, that's actually the part that made me cry. Uh, was the story about your mom reaching out to you after you had posted that comment? I think it. I think you know there's so much there in terms of uh, often like it's it's hard to even express how difficult it can be to talk about this identity 
as neurodivergence with family members. And yeah, like I have this very public platform. I, you know, I didn't even think about it when I started the podcast that I was really outing myself in this way. It was just such this like selfish endeavor for me. And I didn't think about how I would be be received. And so I'm sort of like, you know, I have this very public persona now as somebody with ADHD, but I don't talk about it at all with my family members. Uh, They know that I have it and this podcast exists, but it's something that has been very difficult to talk about in intimate ways. And going back to the idea of of language, too, I, I love how you sort of play with the idea of mental health it lost in translation, right? That there are different words in different languages and that there sometimes certain languages can be limited when we're even talking about mental health. Is that something that exists in other areas, I guess? I'm not sure what I'm asking. I just love that part of, of that you explore that in your comics too. <laughs> yeah, so I think like um, specifically, I think maybe what you're referencing is like the translation or the, the term for ADHD in Chinese. And in a way, I feel like there's a lot of parallels between how I feel like, I think we all feel like ADHD is a terrible name, <laughs> right, for the condition. Because like, first of all, it's not really an attention deficit. Um, and also like the hyperactivity like component is physical hyperactivity is like what we all associate with that term. So it sort of like sweeps a lot of uh, other like expressions of ADHD under the rug. And in Chinese, the term for ADHD is so duo is like a lot and don is to move. So I think like in terms of the Chinese name for ADHD, it's literally, you just move too much, right? Which is like even more, I think like, if that's not how your ADHD expresses itself, then it's like, then you don't have it. And it's just like, you're you're making excuses or whatnot. And so I, I think like that is definitely a part of it. And I think like just in general too, it's sort of like the words we use carry a lot of power and I guess I'm moving a little bit away from like language but I think like this just coming back to also you had asked earlier what kind of inspired the comics um and I think like there was a lot of self-talk um in both English and Chinese I like sort of talked to myself in both in my head um that just like was very caustic it's like you would never you know say things to your friend like you know like what the like I don't know if you like swear on your podcast but like you know what the frick is wrong with you like you're so lazy and miserable and um you know and like you're you're not tired like you're just making excuses blah 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 and so actually like um so for my webcomic it's called Panda Cup Stories and it started out with three characters it was like a cartoon version of me this like super goofy panda cub and then um the panda sidekick like this little hedgy and like in the beginning all three characters sort of acted exactly the same um and as i was developing the character like the personality started to split and what i realized was that you know um the hedgehog character takes on a lot of sort of like the inner anxious uh dialogue or personality that makes up you know part of me and then the panda is very like goofy and impulsive and the more like physically hyperactive manifestation of me and um and what's fun with comics is like you know even the mental hyperactivity can be on paper like physical like slap slap dashery um and then i am more the you know narrator and when especially when i like write about mental health and i have my characters kind of like helping me tell this story it's so much easier for me to be kind to myself because like you know like who would cuss out a panda right and so yeah so it's like it's so much easier to sort of look back at myself and be like okay like you know that's probably not what you wanted to do but you make mistakes like a panda can make a mistake like it's still at the end of the day a part of you that you love um or a part of me that i love and it's helped a lot in terms of like cutting back on that negative and really destructive self like mental chatter um that i i used to just like do but not even realize it was doing mm-hmm. yeah that is so sweet and i think you know it the idea of like okay i get where the all of this negative self-talk is coming from 
going back to that idea of like trying so hard to do the right thing and always feeling like you're missing the mark somehow. <laughs> and and so how we sort of internalize that scolding at ourselves. And I, I've often talked about like how there's like the adult version of my brain and the child version of my brain. And I partition my conversations into that so that I can be more loving to that resistant side of myself. But I love how you've placed it in these like characters. But it's the same idea, right? Which is like, how can I how can I internalize that kindness? Uh, and, you know, and it reminded me that you've talked about CBT too, that cognitive behavioral therapy has been super helpful in your journey, right? It reminds me a lot of that, of like, what is real in this moment? And, you know, whose voice is this right now? And a lot of those kind of conscious questioning. I'd like to take a moment to thank BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know I am a big proponent of therapy. Therapy provides me the best opportunity for verbal processing, something that is so important for my kind of brain and my sense of self. What I love about BetterHelp is that it's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy that's done securely online from the comfort of your home. They assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and it's available for clients worldwide. So you get access to a broad range of expertise that might not be available to you locally. It also tends to be more affordable than traditional offline therapy, and financial aid is available. If you visit their website and read their testimonials, there are actually quite a few reviews that specifically reference health with ADHD. As a special offer for listeners of the Women and ADHD podcast, you'll get 10% off your first month. Simply sign up at betterhelp.com slash women ADHD. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash women ADHD. And there's a link in the show notes. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Any other parents out there who have struggled to instill good financial habits into their kids? I know I have. And that's why I'm so excited to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode, Go Henry by Acorns, the smart debit card and app for kids 6 through 18. With Go Henry, kids can learn about money, set spending and saving goals, and even track chores and earn allowance money right within the app. They learn the value of money by using their Go Henry debit cards, while we as parents can set spend limits and help guide their journey while staying informed every step of the way. It gives me so much peace of mind to know that I'm using a smart tool to proactively teach my kids about money and prepare them for future success. Set your kids up for success and get started today at gohenry.com slash women ADHD. Again, that's gohenry.com slash women ADHD. TNCs apply, renews from $4.99 per month unless canceled. Now, one thing we haven't talked about, actually, before we get to the cooking, because I have a lot of questions about cooking, uh, but I also just kind of wanted to backtrack a little bit about you had mentioned when you were a child that there was a lot of that kind of busy brain feeling um, and that, uh, but what are some of the things after your diagnosis that you looked back on in your life where you said like the signs were there all along? Yeah. So um, I think like one of the things that I've been thinking a lot is... um, I have a lot, I guess, like, I used to call it stage fright, I guess, in my mind. But I think, like, now looking back, it was a lot of, like, overstimulation and paralysis. So this, especially when I think back, like, I used to um, play piano competitively, like, uh, very stereotypical Asian (laughs) Asian kid um, in piano lessons for, like, 18 years. um, Not 18, like, 13 years. But there would be this thing where I like I would practice until my fingers were sore and like I knew I had these pieces memorized but then like often when I showed up to competition I would get into the middle of the piece and either like just looking back now it's either like the the feeling of my finger on the keys like um you know like the piano was like a little different from my piano at home maybe like this the chair was like different the feeling And then I would just get like really pulled into sort of that moment and I would stumble and then I would just like freeze. So there would be like some competitions where it's like I played this piece like hundreds of times and then I just like I stopped in the middle and lost my spot. And, you know, obviously that um, does not bode well for competition. So I was very, I think, like good at performing or like doing academic things where I was able to like prep beforehand and if I had notes to keep me on track, but I 
really, really like struggled with things like extemporaneous speaking or interviews. So especially like when I would be interviewing for like these scholarships for colleges, right? Or, um, or like even going into college admission interviews. If I was asked a question that I didn't prep for beforehand, it's like my mind would like latch on to 30 different potential answers. And then I would like kind of freeze and either like stumble or I would just like pick the thing my mind latched on to immediately, which was probably not the best answer. And then like I would go home and be like, God damn it. Like, why did I say that? Like there was this other thing that would have fit like so much better. But it's like in that moment, it's like that thing didn't even exist. Like, you know, like out of sight, out of mind. And I think like kind of like now I'm like, oh, like I, I wish I had known that back then because then I wouldn't have just like thought I was you know just like a terrible person at doing interviews or I think like even at one point it's like you know maybe my achievements like weren't actually achievements because if it had truly been important enough to me or if I had truly been good at it I would have been able to remember it on the spot and I think like for me I have a lot of I think compassion for the younger version of myself who was very ambitious and wanted to succeed and just couldn't figure out why I was getting in my own way. Um, yeah. So I think like that. And then I remember, so I, I do listen to your podcast, but actually when you reached out to interview me, I was like, oh my gosh, I never reviewed her podcast because I kept meaning to, and then I didn't. <laughs> so, so then I reviewed your podcast. Um, I, I hope it's up now. Um, but I, I just remember like you mentioning in several episodes where like for you doing research for a project was never the problem. It was actually sitting down and getting started. And that was just so me. Like I would spend hours and hours like going down every conceivable rabbit hole, but it's like the more work I did, the more difficult it was sometimes to like finally sit down and like write that essay or, you know, in a work context, it would be like, I just needed to answer the simple email, but it would take me like the entire day because I was like, well, I need to look on this or I need to check up on this. And then like, I just wouldn't write it until I was like, oh, I, I really, really need to respond to this email. So um, <laughs> probably those two things. Yeah. Oh my goodness. The whole, the um, example of the piano recital was so relatable. I just brought me back to when I was doing my recitals as well, like sitting down on a foreign piano and just having to deal with like all of the differences and getting totally lost in that. <laughs> it was so relatable. But I think, you know, it's interesting when you're talking about these sort of the ways in which suddenly we have this moment where neurodivergency, because now through a lens of ADHD, I'm like, oh, okay, I understand why all of that happened. I have a language for that, right? And how I love how experts like Ned Hallowell, and I think even Russell Barkley, who wrote Fast Minds talks about like reframing, right? And how for everything that we see as a deficiency, there's always the flip side, which is like, you know, another scenario in which this might actually be a tremendous strength, right? And to kind of always think about that. And I think you've, you've talked about this too, how a way of thinking for you around ADHD that has been really helpful was like reframing it neurodivergency as a from being a deficiency to being a strength. And seeing that, you know, and I think that's been so helpful for me too. like seeing all of these moments going back and looking at them and realizing why it was happening, but also like that same impulse, that same instinct, that same reason, you know, the reason why that was happening in that moment was ended up being a strength in another scenario. But yeah, the stuck on input thing with uh, with research has was a huge thing for me. I always sort of thought that I had this undiagnosed learning disorder because of that whole issue. And it, and then I remember seeing it in my daughter and just being like, what is that about? Like, what is this about? Right. But yeah, especially that idea of being in an interview and like having all of these ideas come to you all at once and just being like, just pick something. <laughs> But this idea that it's like, it is, I always used to say, like, it's possible to know too much about something because, um, like, I, I, you know, get caught up in like all of the different points of view and all of, you know, well, let me go. And well, maybe I have to start at the beginning. And my husband always jokes that he's like, anytime I, he asks me anything, I like have to start with like, well, I was born on a rainy night. <laughs> I'm like, exactly. I'm like, you need all the context. Um, so cooking, oh my goodness, I, I, 
I really love your perspective on kind of food and cooking, especially from a neurodivergent point of view. And, and, you know, cooking is something that is so difficult for us, uh, a lot of us. And I think there's, you know, when we talk about like, you know, there's a lot of baggage around cooking from following recipes to as I know you've addressed even just like cooking for one, right? And how like cooking as a form of self care can be a real problem for us. And I often, you know, I used I remember if if I'm not cooking for my family, my dinner is usually peanut butter out of a jar. (laughs) uh, And so I love that you kind of made you had made these connections for yourself around cooking and motivation. And this idea that like, it's, it's easier to cook for other people than it is for ourselves, because we've externalized that motivation. And I feel like that's something I, I love to talk about, right, which is like, how can I connect to my motivation whenever I am struggling with a task, you know, or and if the motivation isn't there, how can I invent it? Or how can I, you know, create something for me? But you also had this kind of epiphany around cooking during the pandemic and the lockdown, right? So you moved to New York in, ni- in 2019, correct? Yes, uh, at the very end of 2019. I was going to say, like, how long were you actually in the city before the insane times started? <laughs> For probably three months or so, I would say. Yeah, so I remember, like, going the, the very last, like, public event I went to was um, this artist I follow had like launched a book. So I went to her talk and I was like, isn't it cool to be living in a city where I can just like go see my favorite artists whenever I want. And then like two and a half years of just like isolating later, I'm like, okay, things are finally opening up again. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Well, my goodness, what a time, what a crazy time. So you, you moved to the city and you were sort of launching your own career as an artist, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the pandemic happened and you were sort of had this epiphany. So talk me through this epiphany that you had around cooking um, in, during lockdown. Yeah, yeah. So um, the... Uh, this is also me like maybe providing a little bit too much context. So I actually like I moved to the city with my um, like previous partner. We had been together for a long time. And one of the main reasons also I spent like such a big chunk of my 20s not cooking was like he he loved cooking and he would like do all of the cooking and I would like do the dishes or like sometimes I would like chop stuff for him. But like, again, like there was never really a reason for me to like take it upon myself and the only times I would cook, uh, in like back when we, when he and I were together was like when I was like really craving a dish, um, from like my background. So I'm Sichuanese. I was born in Chengdu and, um, and I like, that's still my all time favorite food. Um, and, and sometimes like that was also a point of like contests where he was like, we don't have to eat Chinese food all the time. And I was like, but we don't, we, we eat like everything else under the sun. But it would always be like, I would make this whole production of it and, you know, like call my mom for the recipe. And then like, we would fight because like, not not fight, but like, she would never know the exact measurements because she was like, it's just like, I never measure. I just like, put however much like, I, I feel is right, which is very not helpful <laughs> as a neurodivergent cook. Uh, yeah. And so like, prior to starting my own kind of like cooking journey, like I would cook like once and then go three months without cooking and then like everything like you said like if he was away I would you know do takeout or I would eat like cold cereal for dinner and so we we separated during the pandemic and in like early 2020 um I moved into my own place I was living alone by myself for the first time in like half a decade um and I was like faced with the prospect of you know how rebuilding my kitchen from scratch because like all the stuff was his um and kind of what i found was without a kitchen already set up i just like it was so hard for me to do anything except for eat frozen meals or do ramen um or you know just like default to like cereal without milk because i forgot to like buy milk um and and all of that sort of happened within the context of also like lockdown quarantining by myself and then especially in new york there seemed to be um just this rising like wave of anti-asian sentiment and so that also like made me just like miss my family a lot and i couldn't go home because of covid and my parents are high risk they're much older than a lot of my like uh, peers parents and for me it was I think that was kind of what pushed 
like the button in my brain to be like, you know, I, I miss my family. And a big part of it is like, we connect to each other and we show love and affection with each other through food. And I was like, well, I have all this time on my hand. I, I really want to like make a go of this. And so, um, I think like really kind of what started this process was me making that decision. And then at that time, me also being a couple years into my ADHD diagnosis and then realizing that I was like, oh, like now that I'm hyper focused on this and I have like my core reason why I want to do it. I've always actually been really good at creating like systems and structures. So like I basically set aside a chunk of time to make this something that I pursued like daily. And by that time I had also like started my web comics. I was like documenting my process via my comics and it kind of like snowballed into this, like more than just me project because a lot of my readers like were interested and so they'd be like asking questions and then I realized that like I actually learn really effectively if I'm trying to teach someone else as well so that is kind of like what prompted my whole journey that's kind of how I started and then I basically did this like whole like three month journey where I was teaching myself and then like um, 15 of my readers had signed on to be like my beta students and I was like teaching them how to cook Sichuanese and we did like everything from scratch right so like we set up our kitchen I was like this is what I'm ordering you know this is how we season a wok these are the core ingredients that we get and and then we cook like five dishes together and it was just like this wonderfully fabulous like fun experience but then that ended and um, and then like for a month and a half, I just like reverted to all of my old ways. Like I was trying to build up this business and then I wasn't cooking for myself. I was just like eating takeout and I was like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Right. And I was like, was it just a lie? Like, and so I think like that was like my second like epiphany where I was like, okay, like I kind of started this whole thing because for me, like food was about more than just like nourishing myself and satisfying cravings. Like it's just for me, it's such a core part of connecting with others, whether or not it's like my family or, um, or with my, like my followers or my friends. And so that was when I added kind of like the second element to my cooking program, which is this monthly recurring live cook along that I do with my students. And, um, and that like kind of created another system where I was like, so this is a reason. And there's a date associated with it where like I explore a new recipe from, you know, my family's like rep- repertoire. And it's actually like just really fun and exciting to be going on this journey with other people, like even if it's virtual. Um, and sometimes, you know, like I have friends join me in person for it. So yeah, so I think like for me, that's kind of what I realized. I was like, for me, I needed to kind of like learn how to feed myself consistently and be okay with like, I'm not going to cook myself a gourmet meal from scratch every day, especially if I'm living by myself. Like sometimes that's just not what, not what I want or what I need. And sometimes I have very low executive function days and like, then I just have some throw together meals that I, I do. And then it's like, but then that frees me to actually like spend maybe like a, several days out of the week or maybe one day out of the week, like making cooking a really joyful part of my life. And, um, and I guess like to wrap up really quickly, it's interesting because like now that I've been working my kitchen muscles a little bit more, some of the like dishes that used to be things I had to like spend a lot of like mental energy on have now become the easier meals um, that I can just like do. And so it was interesting because I was just talking to, um, I'm collaborating with a vegan Chinese chef soon on a recipe card. And she was like a bonafide, like trained culinary chef. Like she went to China, like for culinary school. And then she was like one of the top like dim sum chefs at a very, very famous like um, dim sum restaurant. And she was like, but I used to just like hate cooking, but now it's like, just the water I breathe that sometimes I forget how hard it was to get started. 
that's really what I try and keep in mind, like in my own journey as well. Like I, I, I still consider myself like much closer to the beginner than, you know, than she is. And I don't think I really aspire to get to her level, but I think like what's, what I really love is leading people through the, the journey that I went on that like, if you ever feel this dichotomy of loving food and loving eating with other people and having it bring joy in your life. But then the thought of making it with your own two hands just like makes your skin crawl. Then, um, then maybe, you know, we can work on that, uh, in, in some way. Oh yeah. That was so great. You know, I always say like the best way to learn about something is to commit to teaching it to somebody else. And I think why, maybe that's why so many of us are like entrepreneurial in that way where it's like, Oh, I want to learn about this new thing. So I'm going to create a business in which I have to tell people about it all the time. Exactly. Yeah. And and your podcast as well. I was like, Ooh, it's <laughs> a perfect passion project. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, and it's funny because the, the podcast even started as like a, it just a lark for me. Like I just was like, I want to talk to other women. How can I do that? And what's a great way to do that? I know I'll build an entire platform and like a, make it official so that I have a reason to reach out to people. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. And then also that not only that, but like the the idea of connection and community too, I think runs through so much of what I like to call the quote unquote treatment plan with ADHD and, and right finding each other and learning this language together. And, you know, so much of what you were talking about was recognizing like, taking a lot of the shame out of uh, certain things when they behaviors right around where they stop working. So it's like, I was doing all this stuff and I had become, you know, so accomplished and then it all just fell apart. And rather than being like, what's wrong with me, I, I should be able to do this, say recognizing like, oh, that's interesting. Why did that fall apart? Like thinking of things, thinking of these systems and structures as that as like, oh, some what, what stopped working? Like, how can I kind of tweak that and taking a more like, I'm, I always feel like it's so helpful to take a more like anthropological look at the situation uh, than it is to say like, I should be doing this consistently, right? Where I'm like, consistency is not your strong point. So <laughs> let's stop trying to be consistent and start like seeing the strengths and the wonder in not being consistent, right? Like, where can I recognize that? And that a lot of that reframing too. When I was diagnosed with ADHD, it completely turned my world upside down. I looked back at so much of my life, my grades in school, my multiple careers and hobbies, my friendships, my marriage, motherhood, my relationship with food and my body, like all of this with a new lens. And it was overwhelming to say the least. If you've been diagnosed with ADHD and you're feeling blown away by this new insight into your brain and how it operates, I totally understand. I can help you begin to sort through this chaos, explore who you are and how your brain operates, so you can finally start to lean into your strengths and begin to use them to your advantage moving forward. Together, we can work to identify what obstacles you've been facing and create strategies to help you start living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. Head over to womeninadhd.com coaching to book a 30-minute initial consult with me, so we can figure out if my brand of one-on-one -on -one coaching is right for you. Again, that's women womenandadhd.com slash coaching, and you can find that link in the episode show notes. Hey friend, if there's one thing I've learned about ADHD over the last few years is that we can thrive with the right combination of accountability, planning, coaching, and peer support. Knowing all this, I set out to create the ultimate all-in-one coaching and accountability community for adults with ADHD or learning disabilities. I knew I couldn't do it alone, so I joined forces with one of my favorite ADHD coaches, Alex Gilbert of Capable Consulting, and together we launched the ADHD Lounge. The lounge was created as a safe place for neurodivergent adults away from other social media, where we offer live group calls, co-working, and body doubling every weekday for accountability, focus, and skill development. We have weekly and monthly goal planning sessions to keep yourself on track. We also have one-on-one -on -one office hours with myself and Alex, and of course, friendship and lots of peer support. We have three different membership levels to meet you where you're at. So if you're looking for an affordable way to stay connected, productive, and accountable, while also having regular access to ADHD coaching and expertise, then make sure to come join me in the ADHDlounge.com. Again, that's the ADHDlounge.com. And as a listener of the Women in ADHD podcast, you can get 30% off your first month with the code PODCAST30. So head to the ADHDlounge.com and use the code PODCAST30 to get 30% off your first month. 
During the early days of my diagnosis, as I was deep into hyperfocus ADHD research mode, I kept searching for some kind of all-in-one, everything you ever needed to know about ADHD and women handbook that I could reference and keep at my fingertips, but I never really found anything that suited me. That's why I've taken everything I've learned about ADHD in women and adults who are socialized as girls, and I've gathered it into a concise, easy-to-access, self-guided, and self-paced course so you can feel like you've got everything you need at your fingertips. It's called, Hey, it's ADHD, and it has everything you need to start loving your brain and living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. I built this course to be helpful wherever you are on your ADHD journey. I am so excited to finally be able to offer this course, and I truly hope this will help you develop a deeper understanding of your ADHD brain and how to embrace it as you build yourself a toolkit for your own life. So head over to womenandadhd.com and click on the Hey, It's ADHD course tab for more information and to get started. So with Panda Cub Diner, you're teaching, um, you're doing like monthly, you have a monthly group? Or how can people how can people sign up for this? Mm-hmm. So um, basically, the program is kind of like dual tracked. So like um, to sort of sum- summarize, like what I think the big aha moment for me was, you know, it's like we in general, like neurodivergent or not, like we don't actually need any more information. There's so much information out there at our fingertips, right? Like everything I teach, like you can gather it yourself like through blogs and youtube and you can buy books but i think like what i found that i really saw it and what my students are really seeking is like one more structure and clarity and two like more connection so for panda cup diner the structure and clarity comes from this like online e-course that i put together so it's like a 30 video like do it yourself like checklist process to you know if you really want to make like chinese and Sichuan cooking a part of your life this is the roadmap that you take right so it's like you can everyone can like learn by themselves how to bake a cake but it's like so much more effective if you list out the exact ingredients and the tools and like step one, two, three, and four. And so like that is sort of the, you know, hop in and do it at your own pace part of the program, which I built first. And then the second part is this kind of like monthly container where it's the more like social body doubling part of the program where, um, it's like, I introduce the recipe in the beginning of the month and I draw like this recipe card and then I like open up signups. So for people who join the diner, and right now I'm doing just like a lifetime membership enrollment, um, they get access to all of those uh, monthly classes for free. And so um, I spent I send like strategically timed emails throughout the month to be like, you know, here here's the story behind the dish. Um, here are the ingredients that we need. And then if people sign up, then they get like a three email series of. Here's the shopping list with links. So just like click, add to your cart and then buy. Cause like for me, I'm like, even if you tell me what to buy, I'm like, okay. And then I just never go to the grocery store. And so like um, what I really try is to like do as much of the heavy lifting as possible. I think at some point I would love to just like offer a click and buy meal kit box, like blue apron. My business is just not at that point, but like, I hope I can get to that point at some time. And then when when the weekend comes, like we all log on and we prep together so you don't have to like, you know, do any prep beforehand or feel like you're behind. And then like we cook together and uh, usually at the end of the meal, we either just like eat and chat or um, similar to you, like I invite someone that like I just really want to talk to or learn more about who's in the like Asian culinary space. And they sort of like log on as a VIP guest and we all like chat together. Um, so so that has really become some of like my most favorite parts of the program. And like and sneakily, because like ADHDers love to multitask, like these videos are also like, the new recipe videos that I then add to the course library to the like do it yourself course library that people can just like access. If people want to like learn more about it, I have a link to that program on my Instagram bio. Um, so Instagram is pandacubstories.com. And then I also have my website pandacubdiner.com where um, basically you can sign up for like a free uh, recorded webinar that I do. That's sort of like, is one part Sichuanese 101, here's some basic recipes, and then one part like neurodivergent ADHD 
crafty, friendly cooking strategies that I offer. And so that class is completely free, but it's like if you know people like what I do, then they have an option to, to join my paid program at the end. This is so incredible. What an incredible resource, right? It's like a virtual dinner party, right? I feel like it covers so many, it hits, it checks so many boxes. I'm just like, it's so exciting. And I just love the story behind sort of how it came to be and um, all of this beautiful, uh, you know, another wonderful thing about ADHD is having that kind of patchwork quilt of background of like, I'm a children's, you know, I'm just like, I, I worked with children, I have the the illustration element, like all of this kind of comes together in these beautiful, uh, organic ways that I think are so fantastic. Um, yeah, totally. I love talking to ADHDers because like, I feel like they're just also multi-passionate and it's sort of like, yeah. And like you said, it's like embracing the, you know, like we're so scattered. Why can't we pick one career track and focus? And then like, I think there's a reason so many of us like um, end up being artists and entrepreneurs because like we're looking for a way to, to like create our own path, right? Like with the like palette that um, we've gathered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, Oh my goodness. Uh, okay. So before I let you go, would you call ADHD something else if you, if you could? Ooh. Um, yeah, I was thinking about this question. So I didn't actually end up like having a name. <laughs> I'm t- I have that problem, which is like, I have too much information. I have no idea what I would call it. So I love asking other people cause I'm crowdsourcing. So no pressure. So I, I sort of like had to, I was like, it's like, you know, Magneto, the X-Man, but like, for ideas instead of like, I guess like metal. Um, and then uh, like an idea <laughs> magnet. And then my other um, idea was like, you know, an idea whisperer, but in training. Um, and this is very much from, I don't know if uh, you read much of uh, Elizabeth Gilbert's work, but she has this book called Big Magic, um, which is like my favorite kind of like creative self-help book, I guess is what the bookstore would categorize it under. But I, I love... So I guess like as a book, as a bonus book recommendation, like I love how she thinks about how ideas come to artists. And she was like, she believes that ideas are like little things with souls just like flying around and, you know, and they'll visit an artist and, you know, and if you sign a contract with that idea, then, then you get to bring it into being. And I really feel like for ADHDers, it's like ideas visit you more because you're just like more open and more receptive to them. And yeah, and for me, like my, my mind is like, they're like butterflies and it's like, you're constantly surrounded by butterflies. And, you know, if you try and like, just like grab handfuls of them, like, obviously that that's like, that's not great. And they're going to run away from you. But like, if you just sort of like, you know, let them come calmly, like maybe one of them will come and like land on your hand. And, and then that will be the idea that you like create a bond with. That was not a very concise answer to your question, but uh, <laughs> I'm laughing because you're such a clearly such a visual metaphor person, right? So I'm like, <laughs> so it's like, if you wanted to rename something that immediately it comes to mind are like, picture, right? Or just like an archetype of, you know, and and it's funny, because I've actually never, I know Big Magic is a cue, it's really highly recommended. And I feel like it's been recommended to me so many times over the years that I've I really should listen to it. But it's funny because the only book of Elizabeth Gilbert's I've ever read is her is fiction. It's the the Moss Researcher book, which I'm trying to I remember the signature of all things. That's what it was called. And it's so good. It's one of my favorite. Uh, it's probably a high up there in, in terms of favorites. It's really great. But I'm like, it's so funny because I always hear her referenced and recommended as like a self-help person. And <laughs> like I only ever read her fiction. But yeah, right. I love all of the visual stuff too. I'm like gnats and tornadoes and buzzers and um, sparkles and all of it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I was so excited to pick your brain and I really appreciate you sharing. I just think you're doing such amazing things in this world and, and I love your comics so much. I'm like having such a fangirl moment. I love your comics so much. And yeah, so I'll make sure to have all those links in the show notes because I really want, um, I think the idea of this sort of vir- coming together and being accountable to each other and to our community, I think is such a wonderful way to sort of get the best out of each other and ourselves and, and grow and all of that. I think it's so lovely. So thank you so much for sitting down with me. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, this is wonderful. I'm, I'm, 
very excited to be able to talk to you as well because like <laughs> you're you're the voice like in my headphones um often like especially when i'm like tidying or something <laughs> oh awesome well thank you linda yeah likewise And there you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, you know, we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. If you're a fan of the podcast, please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible. And if that feels like too much and I get it, then just take a few seconds right now to give me a five-star rating. Or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this gift of neurodivergency. And they may still be struggling and don't even know why. And if you'd like to find out more about me and my one-on-one coaching for women with ADHD, head over to womenandadhd.com coaching. And you can always find that link in the show notes. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who discovered that she is not lazy or crazy or broken, but she has ADHD and she is now on the path to understanding her neurodiversity and finally using this gift to her advantage. Take care till then.